0: Welcome to Scavengers Horde, where a stars podcast offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney Plus, or a weird legends novelization you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode one hundred and eighty seven, and it's sixth of November twenty twenty two. Oh see so ya, yeah, Andor's really good, isn't it, Kirsty? <laughs> still good yeah. it's still good and that's <laughs> the end of the podcast hope you enjoyed it guys
1: <laughs> I mean in a way you have a point because I'm like what do I say <laughs> that one hasn't already been said because we're like terribly behind and late with scheduling the show but that's just how it's going at the moment but also it is just so good that it's it's been kind of nice to just like sit back and enjoy it yeah, and let it wash over you. Like, uh, how good is this new Star Wars show? And I'm so excited to see what happens next. Yeah, you know,
0: it is genuinely such a pleasure to watch. You know, because like again, we've enjoyed Disney Plus shows, right? The Star Wars ones um, that we've got up until this point, and there's been plenty of really good stuff. But for me, I think Andor is just so much on another level. You know, in terms of the quality of the content we're getting that it just feels almost unfair to compare them, you know, and Mm. I'm just so psyched for it because people who've been listening to this podcast for a while, I think you might have realised that we really thrive when we're talking about things that we love and trying to explain why they're so good, you know, and trying to really get across our passion for them. And I'm not saying we'll be able to do that with like incredible eloquence every time you know but trust us that the passion is there you know and we do genuinely really really love this show and we're so grateful that it exists so yeah thank you tony gilroy and team
1: yeah i don't i don't think i do have the eloquences <laughs> for this show because i feel like it is firing on all cylinders like the performances yeah. are great like i cannot find a weak performance no i'm like actively looking for it because again as you say it's just like wow it's so good that, like, I guess if someone was giving a bad performance, it would stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. But everyone is fantastic, no matter how small the role. Yeah. Um, the writing's fantastic. Um, the way it's shot, the way it looks, like, everything. Just the, the pacing. Um, and I was thinking, as you said there, like, oh, it's just a pleasure to watch. It is, but it's also... Really unpleasant in like how viscerally tense it is. Like, I get to the end of an episode and I just let out a big breath. I'm like, especially with all this prison stuff, I'm like, oh my god, this is so horrible. Yeah, exactly. And
0: I think it's the sense where you know we can tell what's coming in terms of like the big beats, right? Like, we know that it's very probable that spoilers, Cassian and his friends are probably going to break out of that prison, right? But again, that's not the point, you know, the fact that we know that it doesn't take away from any of the tension or the drama of actually seeing that play out and figuring out how they do it, you know, because there's so much tension in that. And I think a few months ago when we were doing recommendations, I talked about a French film called A Man Escaped and I was singing its praises. And with that film, it tells you in the title what happens. A man escapes, right? (laughs) So, you know what's coming in that movie But again, it's all about the writing and the execution and the storytelling because they make it so incredibly gripping by ramping up the tension to ludicrous degrees with like the smallest touches, you know, like braiding a rope or something. And I feel like that's what this show is doing. You know, it's really just expert at crafting that tension and getting you deeply invested in what you're watching. So, yeah, it's just stellar stuff. Really great.
1: Yeah, I felt like when. Um, first of all it was such a surprise to see Andy Circus in the first place I was like <laughs> sat up a little straighter like wait what um, but with his character is it Kino Loy yes um, that's right as you say you can kind of see where it's going you can see the the journey that that character is going to go on as a result of Cassian coming into that situation but it doesn't make it any less satisfying to see that evolution yeah um, so good yeah he's doing a great job
0: it's amazing um so yeah, I like basically we haven't done news for a while, and I'm sorry to sort of like rewind a little bit so we've already started talking about Andor, but we're very excited about Andor, so that's why. Um, but in terms of news, we're not going to do a formal news section, but we did want to acknowledge that there has been Star Wars news. Um, one of which is that there's been new word of the Damon Lindelof Star Wars movie, which apparently has a director. My view is that Let's not dwell on that at all right now because we've been burnt way too many times by I don't have the energy to, look forward
1: to things that may or may not happen anymore.
0: Exactly. So good luck to them. Be fantastic <laughs> if it happens. But call us again when they've actually started filming. Then we'll believe it's actually happening. Um, but on more positive news, Acolyte has actually 100% started filming People know this has definitely happened. So Acolyte is 100% go, which I'm very happy about. And the news from the realm of Acolyte is that they've casted Daphne Keane as one of the characters. Um, so yeah, you've seen her in some stuff, right, Kirsty?
1: His Dark Materials and Logan, yeah.
0: Yeah, same here. And I really like her. I think she's a very talented actress. And I really like His Dark Materials. It's kind of like missing something I can't quite pin down. But it's I feel not... like that's
1: kind of an... an... It's one of those stories that's really hard to adapt, yeah, in my opinion i I love his dark materials, the book series so much, and I'm enjoying the hBO show but i I think you're right that there's like something not quite working, but we'll see how it how it goes
0: yeah, exactly, and I feel like it, there's a part of me that recognizes that I can't really be objective about an adaptation of those books because they were so like crucial to me as like a young teenager Mm. that you know they just have so much like sentimental attachment for me that I can't be objective about them you know and take the show on its own terms because there's always going to be some sort of like magic that an adaptation can't quite get right
1: yeah maybe you're right maybe people who didn't read the books are enjoying it more (laughs) yeah maybe And
0: and I do enjoy it you know it's just yeah, like like we both agree, it's like that something, that like intangible something that's just but it's not. not quite there. It's not
1: the performers. It's not. You know, the they're performers. all great. Ruth Olsen is great. Exactly. Alan Lyra are great. Yeah. It's... And
0: most relevant to this conversation, Daphne Keane is a very talented actress. So I'm very excited to see what she brings to the Acolyte. Me too. Um, because yeah, she hasn't really been in many projects apart from Logan and his dark materials. I think very understandably because, you know, his dark material, she's the lead character, she's in it a lot. So I'm sure that's taken up the bulk of her time for the last few years. But yeah, I'm excited to see her play a completely different character. So we've got no idea who she's going to be in The Acolyte, but hopefully someone with a saber. So yeah, that'll be
1: fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like they've got such a good cast coming together for that show. Yeah,
0: exactly. And like, it's weird, isn't it? So I remember when they were all announced, like... The Acolyte, in terms of premise and the creative team involved, that's the one that stood out to me. Is the one that was like, yeah, that sounds like a show for me. <laughs> you know, that it's sounds so like...
1: mysterious and new and yeah, exactly. Something a bit more, yeah, a bit darker and edgy. <laughs> yeah,
0: but it's just fascinating to look back because obviously, I think Andor actually might have been announced before Acolyte, I can't quite remember now. Um, but if they were announced at the same time, I know for a fact that I was much more excited for Acolyte than Andor. And Andor was actually quite far down the list. You know, mm. so was kind of of the opinion that like, yeah, Cassian's fine. I don't have any problems with Cassian, but I don't really see why there would be a TV show about that character. Mm. Whereas we're here and it's easily the best style show they've done so far. Or best show they've done period on Disney plus, to be honest. The shows, you know, you can't, base things on your assumptions or your preconceived ideas because they can surprise you in really, really pleasant ways. So, yeah, I'm very pleased that happened.
1: Definitely. I think that is also part of the reason why I'm not, like, getting invested in talking about future sales projects that may or may not happen anymore because I obviously am clueless as to what I'm going to end up responding to because you you can't speak to the quality of the storytelling that is going to be in place, whether... It's a character that you're already familiar with or not, you know, it it could be amazing, it could be crap. Yeah. <laughs> it depends, you know, who comes together and what kind of story they want to tell. So Andor has been a total surprise in the best possible way.
0: Exactly. Yeah. There's only so much you can tell from a log line and like the names of like a few members of the creative team and stars. Right. And yeah, I think this is like a case study in that it's just, wow, very good. Um, so yeah, on that note, we've already been teasing people a lot of our love of Andor and maybe giving people a slight preview of what's to come because we've already mentioned Naddy Circus. Um, but I do have some lovingly laid out notes that basically continue what we've been doing by breaking down the story into different arcs and character journeys. Um, so a natural place that I thought would be good to start because we're covering episodes seven through nine here and in episode 7 that's the one immediately after old Harney, so it's about the aftermath of the rebels stealing all that money essentially from the imperial base um and yeah cassian goes back to Ferex.
1: i don't know why i was so surprised that that's what he chose to do i thought <laughs> that he wouldn't be going back
0: yeah no so i remember you saying like very clearly like oh we're going to see like bix and marva again
1: <laughs> did you know that we were going to see them um
0: I think I did because, I, you know, we see those characters in the trailers and scenes that we hadn't already seen.
1: Oh, see, I should pay more attention to that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, but it's nice <laughs> though, you know, because then you're watching it completely fresh and you'll be like, oh my God, yeah. we're seeing them again. That's so cool. I thought
1: that there could be a chance that like we would see them, but I did not expect another Cassian and Marva scene and I'm very happy that we got it because it was so good.
0: Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. And I think just his decisions in the show so far in terms of Cassian they're so telling about his psychology yeah. and, you know, how his mind is working.
1: Yeah, because I was like oh, it's gonna, it, that would be a really stupid thing for him to do. And it <laughs> <Yeah>. was. <laughs> exactly. That's why
0: he did it. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, I love the contrasts that they're making, right, between him and specifically Bix and Marva because Bix is like what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> yeah.
1: Everyone wants you dead, they hate you. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So Cassian just seems probably
1: in a level of denial about yeah. the choices he's made here, right?
0: Exactly. I think he must on some level be aware that he's just been involved in something monumental, that there's like no coming back from doing that, essentially. You know, that he's always gonna like have a target on him now, you know, because he was involved in such a huge thing that's got attention from the whole empire. Um but yeah, like you say, he's in the serious, serious denial. Um and there's actually a really great exchange of lines between Marva and Cassian that I think gets to the bottom of, you know, why he is like he is. Um, I'm just trying to think how best to do this. Maybe you could be Marva and
1: I could be Cassian. Okay. You've got a different path, Cass, and I'm not judging you. Everything you've been through, everything that was taken away from you before you even started, take all the money you've found and go and find some peace.
0: I won't have peace. I'll be worried about you all the time.
1: That's just love. Nothing you can do about that. I've never loved anything the way I've loved you, and I've never fretted on anything more. But this time, you can't stay and I can't go. Oh,
0: it's just so good. And again, like our very much non actory performance <laughs> of those lines is not selling them, you know, the way that they're sold in the show itself. Because the performances are just so, so good. Especially Fiona Shaw as Marva, like she was just so moving. Yeah. In the scene. It was really beautiful. Um and yet and I just love you know, how compassionate she is towards him. You know, that, you, like, yes, he's being stupid and he's in crazy denial, but she totally understands why he is that way, you know, and she all she wants for him is some sense of, like, happiness or some respite, you know, from how he's been tormented his whole life, you know, and all this suffering that he's been dealt. Um, yeah, I, I just love that, you know, because it would be so easy just to have her be a scold, you know, and just be like, Cassian, what on earth are you doing here? You need to go now! you know but i feel like they chose a much more interesting and sensitive path to go with it so yeah. yeah i really love this choice
1: there's so many little layers as well because she's inspired by what he did on aldani with his team but she doesn't know that that was him yeah right like there's and obviously he he can't really talk about that i'll put her in more danger um but yeah because of his actions there She won't leave. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, I feel like so much of the drama of the show it rests on irony. Yeah, and it just makes such good use of irony because there's nothing like cynical about how it does it. You know, it does it so that you know, as the viewer, we're in this like privileged position of knowledge when we watch all these interactions, and we're like aware of the incredible irony of Marvel being inspired to fight by actions that. Cassian did but he's not willing to tell her about you know and like you say it just adds this whole extra dimension to the conversations between them where you know you just want to like shake Cassian and be like tell your mum what you did she would be oh incandescent but at the same time obviously he's protecting her by not saying anything right because if she had that knowledge yeah exactly and I don't think
1: he feels like it's something that he wants to even take credit partly obviously he's doing it to keep himself and his loved ones safe yeah um, like obviously, he's not going to tell people in prison. That's what he was doing as well. But like, I think he also doesn't want to put his name to it because he didn't have like an an ideal behind it. For him, it was just a job. Yeah. That's so when true. when he's like, he's I think that's why he's struggling to make the connection and then like acknowledge the magnitude of what he did because it's like he doesn't feel like it was a huge deal in a political sense because that wasn't why he was doing it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. He was very,
1: very open about the fact he was just doing it for the money. And it's more radicalising for him to be in prison for nothing. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, obviously the reveals of how people have been treated in the other blocks and what's going to happen there as a result. Like, that he's managing to galvanise his fellow inmates. Um, That is all it's like this butterfly effect of him just going to that planet and enjoying himself as he said he would do with Marva. And and she said, good luck to you, but he couldn't escape it. She was right. By the way, she was like, you know, they're everywhere. So if you go somewhere, it's not going to be like, you're getting away from them. And that was it. You know, he was just walking along the beach. Yeah. Doing nothing. yeah. Yeah. And
0: again, it's that irony where, you know, all Marva wants for him is to finally have peace And I really sense that she meant that, you know, that she was sincere about the fact I would just be happy to know that you're happy, basically, you know, because she loves him so much and all she wants is just for him to have a good life. But I think she's saying that from a place of sadness because she has the savvy to know that that's impossible, you know, that there is no peace when the galaxy is like this. And I think this current arc, that's about Cassian realizing that too, for the reasons you've stated, right? In terms of. The fact that, holy shit, yeah, Yeah. you could literally be in prison for doing nothing and it will keep you in prison forever and ever unless you fight back.
1: Yeah. And there's no peace at any level, you know, even characters like Momofa and Vel, the only option at their level to be just like happy and at ease with it is to be like her husband and just completely blasé about it all. Yeah. And that's not an option for them, you know? So no matter the level of privilege that they have they're not at peace because they're all living in this oppressive system
0: yeah exactly and also i don't know if you had it the same sort of reaction but when we are on the beach planet or the party planet actually as i like to call it <laughs> um which is actually called neomos um but obviously party planet rolls off the tongue Ibefer. <laughs> more pleasantly <laughs> Ibefer, <Ibiza>, exactly space <laughs> Ibefer. <Ibiza. laughs>
1: Um, like it kind of felt a bit like Brighton as well. <laughs> yes, it's true. Like, there were some like aliens and like little background things going on that I was just like, this feels like it's out of a Martin Parr shoot. It was so good. Like everything just feels so lived in. Kirsty, what I thought you were going to say then, it's like,
0: oh yeah, I recognise that alien guy from Brighton. <laughs> it's like people from Brighton aren't
1: that like quite that strange, are they? <laughs> there was was there like that mole alien that was kind of similar to the one in Kenobi? Did I? There, fine, there were definitely
0: a lots of aliens on that beach. Um, yeah, I must admit to not having great recall for what they all looked I like. I think I saw a
1: still that of the the one that looked a bit like a mole, and it reminded <laughs> me of that character from Obi Wan. But I don't know if that's yeah, really meant to be the is same that like the driver, the one who's driving? Yeah, it reminded Obi-Wan me of that, but I don't know if Leo. it was actually meant to be the same.
0: It, it could well be them like reusing or adapting like existing models or something. But who knows? um but yeah on the party planet space ibiza um i had a gasp moment when the robot comes up from the steps and it's obviously the same model as k2so yeah because again like i don't know what i thought was gonna happen if it was <laughs> gonna be like cassian going like hang on a minute you're my buddy but i was like no that doesn't work from the time perspective rachel don't be stupid um But again, it's that thing where the audience has a level of knowledge about what that type of droid is to Cassian that Cassian himself doesn't have. So yeah, that is is just fascinating. It's like, is Cassian going to steal one of those things and like converse it into K2SO?
1: Yeah, and it's cool to see like, obviously it's not him, but like what K2SO would have been like before he was deprogrammed or whatever it ends up happening to him.
0: Yeah, exactly. It seems like there's some sort of like enforcer droid basically helping police the civilians i guess they're scary they are very scary and very strong so it's like you know when um, the shore troopers interrogating cassian basically and bothering him you know it's like cassian has done literally nothing and this guy's just antagonizing him then you see the droid in the background like literally frottling someone and i was like this is really dark but also like darkly humorous yeah But that probably says something about me more than the show um
1: no it, it was because it is like this weird Kafkaesque nightmare that just unfolds that's a butterfly effect isn't it that he goes to this place to get away from everything he's hiding his money in the shower he's got a girl and he's like oh yeah yeah I'll pop to the shops for whatever it is that she asks for and then his life just completely unravels in a few minutes yeah
0: and it makes me wonder, like, what's going on with her? I'm sure she'll just figure it out, like, relatively quickly. Like, oh, he's in prison now, I've got to find someone new. <laughs> she didn't seem deeply emotionally invested in the relationship, to put it mildly. Um, but I will say I did appreciate that shot of um, shirtless Diego Luna in the I shower. know,
1: what a nice surprise. Yeah,
0: he looked very, <laughs> very good. So, um, yeah, A-plus content. Very happy
1: to see that. Horribly contrasting with the shot of them all in the shower on the in the prison. Oh god, yeah, that was oh, just, everything. There is just so oh god, oh it's I just, so grim. I feel like your skin's crawling the whole time. The stuff with the floor, with the, like then yeah the the voiceover like telling them to get back into their spots. Yeah. And, and
0: that's the perfect Ugh. point at which to transition to discussing the prison planet in Arkina 5. Because yeah, this is obviously like a focal point for episodes 8 and 9. And it's just, I feel like this is shaping up to be my favourite arc of the whole show up to this point. Which it says a lot, you know, because I really enjoyed everything on Aldhani with the eye. But I feel like that was a very slow burn to get to that amazing climax. And I really mm. did like the journey. But you know it did take a while to figure out like why are we meeting all these people like how is this relevant and it did all eventually click into place in a really satisfying way but for like ever since we've got to this prison on narkina 5 everything has been so compelling and yeah i've been gripped the whole time
1: it's it's the most terrifying star wars has ever been for me yeah like, i just yeah it was just horrific and yeah yeah. I, I, I hate it, like, as you say, there is this, like, sense of irony, like, or a sense of, like, you you having an idea of where things are going to go as soon as, I don't know, with with that team and, like, seeing, I don't know the name of the older character. Who oh, has ooh, stro- Yeah. As soon as you see him, you know he's going to st- start struggling and, like, Cassian keeps looking at him and they're all trying to make up for him being a little slower and you just know it's not going to win well.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, and And I just love how much they're drawing on like real world parallels to make this prison concept so horrifying because, you know, it would have been very easy to have like a dungeon style prison, right? You know, where everything is just blatantly horrible and like nightmarish from the beginning. But they make a real point of showing how this prison is sort of designed to be palatable in some ways. You know, and hear me out, so I know this probably sounds questionable given what we know about the prison, but you know, it's Clean and you know, people work in teams together and they form bonds with the people they're working with. And there's like a sense of achievement that they get, you know, from the gamification of having like the top table and the bottom table, you know, which is horrendous because the bottom table gets tortured. But for the top table, they get flavour in their food, so isn't Mm. that great? Um, and the fact you know, they have like semi decent facilities in their sleeping chambers and stuff, and they're kept clean and showered and fed, like. Again, it would have been easy to do none of that, you know, and have them be like fed gruel once a week or something. But they're doing it this way to show how cleverly the Empire has designed this prison system. It's so sinister, isn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah. They're not treated as humans. He says like, oh, we're cheaper to have than droids and they don't have to worry about repairing us and stuff. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Like, they're just replaced when they die. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's really, really dark stuff, um, and there's obviously really, really grim parallels. You know, like the showers and stuff. I don't know if it crossed your mind, but I couldn't help but remind me of like Holocaust movies. You know, and like yeah. the shower scenes and like concentration camps. You know, no dignity, no privacy. Yeah, they,
1: you know, they can't even. Uh, they're so terrified that people are listening in that you know there's that conversation where Andy Andy Circus is refusing to answer any of his questions, and he's he's saying that that they would not be listening to us because they don't even value what we have to say. Yeah. Like, they don't see us as people.
0: Exactly. And what they've done so cleverly in establishing this prison system is they've made it self-monitoring and self-perpetuating to the extent where, you know, they don't actually need, like, an imperial officer running the whole thing. They have one of the prisoners as the supervisor because the supervisors are incentivized by they get extra perks if their room like is the top one, you know? So it goes beyond the tables competing against each other and it extends to rooms competing against each other. And that keeps these supervisors engaged and, you know, believing that they're actually achieving something by giving their free labour to the Empire,
1: you know, willingly and yeah. controlling these other people. That horrible realisation of Andy circle Oh, I keep calling him Andy Serkis. You know, Lloyd, you
0: know. No, you're fine. We know who you mean. Because
1: he's a real like when cassian first gets there he's a bit of a jerk to him isn't it it's like oh i run this room yeah. you know and he has this like sense of authority and superiority and that as you say is a lie that the empire have told him to keep him in check and make sure everyone else is doing what's demanded of them yeah but cassian has kind of work out for him to make him realize that hey you and i are actually on the same level and we need to work together here exactly And again that has a horrible parallel to real life you know because in concentration
0: camps they had supervisors you know who were like jewish inmates you know but they gave them like extra privileges like extra food and stuff in return for their like help you know with like keeping the camps running you know which is like horrendous to think about you know but it's a real thing that happened and it, again I'm not sure you know if they're consciously thinking about that when they're setting up this prison system but it shows that it's all grounded in like the real mechanics of how these things worked or yeah. have worked it's in the aspect past. aspect of
1: yeah human psychology and sociology isn't it that if you like give someone the sense of being the leader um, you know they will act accordingly.
0: Yeah exactly and I think like you say that's What Cassian's doing in his interactions with Kino Loy, he's breaking through that, essentially, and he's showing, you know, look, you're not special, you don't mean anything to them, you know, you're just another body serving their purposes, and, you know, you're just going to be kept here forever like the rest of us. You know, and that's why at the very end of the latest episode, episode 9 kino loy finally says there's never more than 12 you know it's such a such a banger of a line it's like (laughs) yeah let's go (laughs) honestly i feel so (laughs) pumped for the next episode i'm so excited like and i'm lucky because i can usually get up early and watch it the moment it comes out on disney plus you know which is like 8 a.m here um but yeah, I know that for you, obviously it's like midnight or something and probably not practical <laughs> to stay oh, up Oh yeah, I have
1: to wait until after have to work. So I was, I felt just, I, I, I try to avoid social media as much as possible. Um, yes. And yeah, it's just really nice to just like, and I'm watching it the same day. So it's not like, even like I'm coming to it late, but it, it's nice to have all of those moments to yourself, isn't it? And then, and then go online and see what other people are saying.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like this show in particular is just provoking such interesting conversations that, yeah, I really want to be part of the conversation, so it really incentivizes you to watch it quickly, but obviously that's not always reasonable or possible. So yeah, just fantastic stuff.
1: The music is so airy as well.
0: Oh yeah, the music. It's just mwah, chef's kiss, you know, like, it's just so unlike anything we've had before in Star Wars, but just so evocative and so effective. Like again, I skipped over it a little bit, but there's like a riff that plays as we switch into like Space Ibiza, um, in episode seven. And oh, I just love that music so much. I can like play it right now in my brain. And <laughs> yeah. And then there's very threatening, ominous music with the prison, as you'd expect. It's very grim.
1: Yeah. I like I like how not Star Wars it feels to me, which feels almost blasphemous to say because you know, we we still love John Williams. But I, I'm just very impressed that they went in such a different direction and didn't try to, like, imitate or emulate anything. It was just like, yeah, we have this show and it happens to be set in this universe, but we want you to do your own thing. Exactly. So I
0: feel like, you know, there were lots of interviews with Tony Gilroy before the show came out, you know, when he was talking about how we wanted to do something, you know, that's set in Star Wars universe, but it's not beholden to all this, like history and all these, like, nostalgic trappings and stuff. And I think both of us were a bit like, oh, we'll believe it when we see it, you well, know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we are definitely seeing it, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, he they more than delivered because it does just feel so fresh and striking. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah,
1: and it just kind of proof of concept that you can do something new that doesn't feel like a slap in the face to what's come before you know it's not like being disrespectful to john williams's legacy by doing something different no absolutely his own show it has a very different feel it's showing more of what imperial life is like for regular people on the ground yeah and that reflects it Exactly. You know, it doesn't have that kind of elevated space opera feel that the original Star Wars had and, and needed from that score.
0: So. Yeah. And I think it's so freeing as well for the future composers they bring in. Yeah. Because I think Natalie Holt, who did the music for Obi-Wan Kenobi, is so incredibly talented and she did really great work on Loki. But I feel like her work on Kenobi was really like kneecapped by, you know, that obligation to like, adhere to the sound of John Williams. I think that show just has
1: such a different vibe doesn't it yeah
0: exactly and just to try and do something in that vein you know and you just you can't you know because it's john williams you know you you can't ever like truly emulate or match that so i feel like ultimately if star wars is going to continue which it clearly is they need to find new forms of musical expression and yeah i think this show is doing that very well this is nicholas brittle Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think the score for this has actually reminded me more of the Loki score than Natalie and <laughs> It's like got that weird synthy, like unsettling feeling going on. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely yeah. see that.
0: And also, well I know, sorry to rewind a little bit, but while we're still on the subject of Narquina Five, I think for me the most chilling thing that we've seen in this location is that night when it looks like someone deliberately goes out onto the electrified floor. Oh my god! And kills themselves. Yeah. Which and it's it's not even the fact that that happens because that is obviously horrific in its own right but the worst part is just the reaction of other yeah. people where it's just like, oh god not no, again it's so
1: inconvenient oh we're gonna smell him all night yeah you know it's, it's sickening
0: yeah and it just shows how incredibly effective this whole setup for the prison has been right because they're at the point where they're not Viewing each other like as fellow yeah. human beings, you know, who yeah. deserve like compassion and dignity, they're just viewing each other as like competitors and rivals for resources and stuff. And yeah, in this case, it's just, oh, he's just a nuisance because he's making my night slightly more uncomfortable. And yeah, it's just so incredibly grim and dark. It's yeah, the fact that Wars has gone anywhere near this type of territory is really amazing to me.
1: Yeah, it's quite shocking, isn't it? It's just yeah, they've managed to completely dehumanise them, even amongst themselves. Like you say, that's quite a feat.
0: Yeah, I feel like in terms of like the age of like people watching this, I feel like this would have been way too much for me if I was like, oh, I know it's twelve scary, or it? thirteen. Yeah, like, I
1: feel a bit nauseous watching it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that sounds weak, but it's just because it's not what you expect from Star Wars. Yeah, and they can do it without you know, gratuitous violence. It's like this unsettling oppression that's, like, pervasive. It's, like, characterising their whole lives and this horrible dawning realisation that they're not getting out. You know, that's all a complete con. It's yeah. not like you serve your time and leave because there's no honesty and respect here.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think Andy Circus's performance is so good because he really does sell the fact that kino Loy he's engaging with this system in good faith. You know, I think he does sincerely believe that you serve your time, then you're a free man and you get out and you can start your life again. You know, because he's very much trying to sell that to Olaf, the old man who dies. (laughs) Sorry, I feel like the name is so similar to Olaf from Frozen. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard for me to say it and be serious. But yeah, no, the way that he's talking to him about it, you know, it's very clear that he truly believes that you know, the Empire will keep to their promises and let people go, and I think that's the turning point for him, you know, when he realizes that they absolutely do not do that, you know, and it takes hearing that from the Doctor at the very end of the episode to accept that that's the reality of the situation and that the only way they're going to get out is if they break out, um, and yeah, just that, oh, that whole scene of the Doctor is so incredibly powerful again, you know, where it's like, yeah he's out but he's literally only out because he's dead and that's the only way any of you are going to get out Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: yeah just the grimness of that yeah do you think kino lawyer is going to survive the next episode i'm not sure yeah i I could see some sort of heroic sacrifice coming up for him on the table but who knows this show constantly surprises me so i would not bet any amount of money on that
1: yeah i like not really having a sense of it
0: Exactly. It's nice to just go into the next episode and just be completely open
1: to whatever they have to tell us. Because I, I think yeah. he's reached this point where he realizes that he's probably better off attempting to escape and risking dying in the process. Yeah. Like who who wants to live their entire life like that? Oh my God.
0: Exactly. So grim. And also, did you recognize Melshi from Rogue One, or did you need someone to point it out for you?
1: Oh, I didn't know.
0: Yeah. So I, to be honest, I did not remember Melshi. Rogue One at all. He is a character in that film. I have seen it verified through screenshots. Um, but yeah, he's one of like Cassian's rebel buddies, basically in Rogue One. And this is oh. clearly where they meet for the first time. I,
1: he did seem familiar to me. Oh you didn't like, know it was Melchie.
0: Oh sorry, sorry. I, I should have like done that with more build up if I No, um, it's okay. Yeah. I was
1: just like, who is that guy? Why do I know him he must have been something else that I've seen? You yeah, yeah. know, but they kept coming back to him like he was Yeah. yeah. Interesting.
0: No, no, so he's in Rogue One, so essentially Melchie is si- safe safer now because Okay, good He he ends up on Scarif. so he's definitely getting out of this thing alive. So <laughs> So he doesn't get out of for life spoilers um yeah um but yeah so it's basically like an origin story for how cassian and Melshi met as well cool <laughs> um yeah so anything else you want to say about nokina five and the prison kirsty before we move on
1: oh just that i've seen a lot of speculation as to what it is that they're putting together when they're actually on shift Do you think oh yeah it's just like death star parts something like that I've seen lots of speculation
0: to that effect. Um, I do kind of like that theory because it makes it so much more personal for Cassian, you know, than when he's so involved in bringing the Death Star down, essentially. You know, if he, like, again, it wouldn't be on the same level as Jin's father, you know, because he was literally the architect behind, like, the thing. But, you know, if Cassian did have a physical hand in helping to build the parts that formed the Death Star that would make it a much more personal mission for him to destroy the thing by the time you get to Rogue One. Um, so I do like the thought of that. But I've also seen people suggest that you never find out what it is they're building. Oh, yeah. And, I wasn't
1: sure if there'd be an actual answer.
0: Yeah. And they were making the point, essentially, that it would like add to the sense of horror of the situation because it would just make it feel so arbitrary. You know, the fact that they're building something, but God knows what the purpose is or why they're doing it, you know? so.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: It's like, Eva version. I think they could both be very striking.
1: I think... Yeah, I don't expect yeah. to find an answer within the show. Yeah.
0: yeah. I feel like that's not the sort of thing Tony Gilroy is particularly interested in doing. And I feel like if they did communicate that, they'd do it in a really subtle way. So, yeah. Fievously. So let's move on and discuss the Imperial Security Bureau on Coruscant. Um... So yeah, I've really, really liked how they've developed this part of the storyline in the last three episodes. So I must admit, when they first introduced, like, Deirdre and all the other characters from the ISB, like, they weren't the most thrilling scenes for me of those episodes, you know, when they were talking about all the procedural stuff. But I feel like ever since Aldhani's happened... It's really brought everything they're doing into sharp focus. And I really understand the relevance of all their conversations so much more now. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, I find myself really gripped by their scenes when they happen now.
1: How do you feel about them, Kirsty? I, I enjoy them. Um, I like how banal it makes fascists and their behavior seem. That it's just like, they're, they're just at work, you know. And they're just, they are just people. And yes, they have a belief in what they're doing, but it's also just like boring careerism and egoism. Like, you know, they're just trying to get one over on each other and and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, there's a a tragedy to it.
0: And I'm also finding myself much more intrigued perhaps by Deirdre um, because I feel like she has become a bigger focus in the last few episodes and they're just doing such a good job of selling her ultra-competence where it's at the point where she's despicable and I really strongly dislike her. But at the same time, I can't help but have some measure of respect for the fact that she is very, very good at what she does. And yeah, there, there is something... I I feel so conflicted about saying this. I feel like it says something about me as a person, but I like enjoyed seeing her steal, you know, the um, Ferrex investigation from that other um, supervisor Um, because it's like, yeah, you deserve that.
1: I feel like that's how I'm supposed to feel, and it's not a knock on the performance or anything. Yeah, like I think she's playing an important part in the story. To be honest, yes, but like I'm not. I don't know I can't feel like invested in her personally and sure. I keep seeing these quotes from the actress and other people like oh well you can't help but root for her a little bit and I'm like I don't in the least <laughs> and I'm not sure what's wrong that's probably like, very healthy for you to be no, honest like, <laughs> I think that's what they're going for and I'm like why isn't that working for me and I I, I don't know. It probably means you have a very strong
0: moral center, and you're like, yeah, no, you're just so I'm despicable. No, because I'm a big Kylo fan. I'm not like, oh, this
1: person's bad, so I can't enjoy them. This is you true. Know. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not like that. I guess. I mean, she's she's not conflicted in the same way that he was, but like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, oh, she's vile. You're not um, going to set don't... up
0: like an anti-blog forum.
1: Do you I am no, not No. <laughs> She's meant to be awful. She is meant to be it, awful. Yeah. But I'm certainly not like, oh, she's in a room full of men by herself. I'm going to root for her to be the ultimate girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> My fave fascist girl boss. We've had too many terrible female prime ministers for that to be a fact. No, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, there's something very
0: grim about the fact that all the female UK Prime Ministers have been Conservatives. <laughs> it's exactly. like, come on.
1: <laughs> oh, God. No, she's she's awful. Her politics are awful. She's, oh, God. I Just like I the real Bi- world. <laughs> I love Bix too much. Like, I'm not like... Yeah. yeah, that was just so horrible. And that doctor was vile as oh, well. Oh, God.
0: And... Yeah. A- and again, like, it's... The way that they are so, like, uber-professional about doing something so horrific to someone you know and the fact that they're just so incredibly like clinical and detached yeah. and the doctor might even be the worst because he seemed like almost oh, like quite cheerful and like yeah i mean it, it,
1: you do it does feel like a, a performance that he's putting on it's like sure. the, you know the yeah he's like trying to be sinister almost unless he's just completely deranged but <laughs> I could you know, either scenario,
0: like, to be honest. I think the actor does a good job of balancing that line.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, this is so interesting. I'll tell you all about it before we talk to you, you know.
0: Um, oh, yeah. And we think they were children.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's like, wow, I, I don't think I've ever wanted a character to get punched in the face more. <laughs> I want
0: more than punching in the face. But yeah, to be yeah. Um, but yeah it's just so evil and... Yeah, the scene where they're interrogating Bix for information about Cassian and Axis, who obviously we know is Lufin, but the Empire doesn't know that yet. Um, you know, the way that they stage it, it's so effective. And I particularly love the choice that you don't hear what Bix is hearing. And I actually heard, like, I'm not sure how true this is, you know, so I just heard, like, glimpses of conversations through Twitter. But what I've heard is that they actually recorded screams you know, that we were originally meant to hear, but they were apparently too disturbing to be included <laughs> in the episode. Which, what? yeah, like oh make, makes me think, what the hell did you do <laughs> to yeah. get those screams? Um, but anyway, I honestly think it was the best choice I could have done to just use silence because...
1: Oh, because her performance is so good. Yeah,
0: and, and as an old adage, age, you know, that I think whatever you could hear it's not going to be as bad as what you could imagine. Exactly. You know, when you have that visual on screen of just her face in complete torment... And, and he's yeah. talked
1: us through it so that we can imagine it. Yeah. So I think the way that they they executed that was perfect.
0: Exactly. And yeah, just the way they cut from big screaming to a drill, I think, or some sort of piece of heavy machinery.
1: Or oh, so, back on the on the prison planet, yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly, back on Narkina Five. Just the execution of that, you know, just completely seamless editing. It's mwah, chefs Shuff's kiss. It's just so good.
1: I think I'm I'm i so, I'm still thinking about Deidre and why It's not that she's not working for me. I think I just, I'm so baffled by these characters sometimes. I'm like, what is it that you believe in exactly? Mm. Why are you like this? Because I'm thinking about the Empire being still, you know, relatively new. And I'm like, I guess I I think about this with like characters like Hux as well. I'm like, what is it that you're standing for and being so passionate about exactly? Yeah. Like, how has Palpatine convinced you that this is the way that the society has to be. I'd love more insight. You genuinely think that you're doing something good.
0: I would honestly love more insight into that specifically for Deirdre yeah. and Cyril. Um, Because yeah. I do agree with you. I feel that's missing. So we've got like lots of foundation to Cassian, you know, in terms of like his childhood and where he comes from. You know, So we know why he's constantly running, you know, why all he wants is just this escape, you know, and just to like forget all the pain and suffering he's been through, right? So you have that really like core understanding of his psychology you don't have that with cyril and deirdre i think you just have like symptoms with them you know they're like both these like good little ultra competent fascists right but we don't understand where that comes from and what inclined them towards that ideology um so i honestly find it clearer with Hux because with Hux you know we know he was raised from birth in a cult basically right he was raised yeah, by the first order yeah feels- that
1: Yeah, that feels more surreal, right? Like, he was literally brainwashed, but Cyril was just living a regular middle-class life on Coruscant. And I I guess we don't know Deirdre's life background, but I think that's what's... Maybe that is what is so unsettling about it to me and why I'm just, like, still feeling so uneasy about it, because it's like, you are just regular people and you're being completely evil.
0: (laughs) And again, I feel like, you know, what I was saying earlier about parallels between the prison and, like, the structure of how concentration camps were run... Like, I hate to say it, but it does remind me of, like, real-life, like, Nazis.
1: Yeah. Where does your hate come from?
0: Yeah. So if you, like, look at the biographies, you know, of some really, like, prominent Nazis, it was like, oh, his father was a baker and his mother was, like, a housewife, you know? And, like, he grew up and became an accountant, but then he joined the Nazis and he, like, became commandant of all the concentration camps in Germany. And you're like, what the fuck? You so know, is
1: it just a case of them, they're buying into Palpatine's propaganda and that's that's just where their life is taking them.
0: I I feel like that. And I think ultimately it's a commentary on the fact that, you know, ordinary people for all sorts of reasons can be drawn towards these like totalitarian regimes and these ideologies. So I think in a way they offer like absolute certainty about like right and wrong and they offer like clear structures and clear hierarchies. And I think that's often very attractive for people, you know? So again, that might be what's going on
1: yeah sorry to get too real about it but like (laughs) it's i you know i am acting like i'm confused by it and i am but i'm also very confused about this stuff in regular real life too yeah like what you know looking at american politics right now i you know we have the midterms coming up and i'm i just sometimes i'm just at a loss for words i just do not understand the choices and, and the beliefs that people have and Yeah, I guess that's where we're at. I
0: feel like that might be part of the point. To be honest, the fact that it is kind of inexplicable—you know—that these people are so obsessively dedicated to this cause that, from the outside looking in, is so blatantly like evil and wrong-headed. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just
1: like a visceral disgust. It's very effective what they're doing. I guess for that reason. For sure. I think. And I yeah, I think you're right. I'm searching for the the reason behind it. And maybe there just isn't one
0: yeah uh, and again i think that's like such a natural thing to do right when we see people doing awful things i think our first inclination is to ask why why would that happen why would someone do that and the most one of the most frustrating things about hum- being human is learning that there often isn't an answer and having to cope with that you know and it's not always easy because often
1: there's really big implications to these
0: things. Mm. So, yeah. It's just
1: interesting to also to think about how quickly the Empire, you know, evolved out of the Republic. Yeah. And then obviously all of these people just went, okay, this is a good thing. Yeah. And then just like rolled with it. Honestly, I,
0: what I found with this show is I'm actually fascinated by seeing to the extent to which the Senate is still operating at this point. The fact that, like, Mon Mothma can be there in her Senate pod, literally speaking out against Imperial overreach without, like, being immediately arrested or detained, that surprises me to some extent. You know, the fact that there's still that level of, in air quotes, freedom. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, I thought it would have been way more totalitarian more quickly than that, but again, in a way, I think it's more realistic, you know, it's gradual encroachment, you know, on democracy and gradually eroding all those freedoms.
1: Yeah, and she knows that she's being watched because she is someone who speaks out. Yes. So, like, it's, it's almost like they think it's a better choice to keep that facade of democracy so that people can't point the finger too much and, like, and start resisting in the way that they actually are starting to now. But that's because I think it's, it kind of reminds me actually going back to the conversation that Luthen and mom Alpha have when she realizes what he's done yeah. and he's like, look, we we need things to get really bad so that people start speaking up because if things are just bad enough that they can still get by and live their lives, there will not be a resistance. Yeah. You know, exactly. God, the show is just so sophisticated. It's, it's, it's so amazing. Good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, it's really... I never dreamed we'd get a Star show like this, basically, but yeah. I'm really happy we are. So yeah, just because they're obviously quite closely connected at this stage in the series, I was thinking it might be a good time to talk about Cyril as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, in episode seven, he obviously gets his new job, which he's clearly thrilled about Um, at the Bureau of Standards. Um, and obviously that's a joke, he is not thrilled um, by the new job. He <laughs> seems the opposite of thrilled. Um, and yeah, then in episode eight, you actually get him interrogated because he's been searching for Cassian. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so funny. And also kind of relatable, you know, because people do do that, you know, they don't necessarily always just do work, you know, in work time, you know, they might get distracted and start searching for things. Spending too much
1: time on Facebook at work.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's just <laughs> a very, very direct window into the workings of Cyril's mind, which is clearly like 90 percent occupied by Cassian at this point and yeah that's clearly quite a transformative experience for Cyril because the next episode he's declaring all sorts of things to Deirdre and yeah I actually have a paraphrase of the scene between Cyril and Deirdre in episode nine where he basically stalks her I guess outside her workplace um and yeah it's an interesting encounter could you read out the summary from the Daily Dot please Kirsty
1: In Cyril's mind, he and Deidre are kindred spirits in the battle to uphold imperial law. Meanwhile, Deidre is caught between disgust and disbelief. Are you stalking me? She demands, trying to shake him loose. I thought I'd ruined my life, he replies with wide-eyed intensity. Just being in your presence, I've realised that life is worth living. I realise that if nothing else, there is justice and beauty in the galaxy. (laughs) The way he expresses that. (laughs) It's so batshit. I love it. It's like, dude, I get like finding a new purpose in life, but you don't have to make it some woman's problem. Yeah. Like, you don't have to be a creep about it. It's just it's so funny that it's just like
0: Like honestly Kirsty. The way he delivered those lines, like is such a brilliant performance from Carl Soller. He's doing a fantastic job. He delivered it like in his in Cyril's mind, he's in like bloody pride and prejudice or something.
1: Yeah. Back in the prequels. Yeah, no, exactly. He's trying to take a leaf out of Anakin's book, but he's. It's not working for him.
0: Yeah, so you see, people say Tony Gilroy, he's not a Starz fan, but he clearly (laughs) is, because this is directly inspired by the love dialogue in Attack of the Clowns.
1: Like, it's Dark Mirror. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Oh my god. Um, But yeah, I just love the complexity of the scene and everything that's going on. Because again, I feel like in this scene in particular, you have two completely different experiences of things playing out. Whereas for Cyril and his warped little, little mind, the interrogation was sort of this like turning point in his life where he was like, oh my God, there's someone who loves their work and loves serving the empire loyally and doing a fantastic job. And gets the job. significance
1: of Cassian in yeah, the way that I do. Exactly. yeah, Because really yeah. they were the only two people who were like at that level of like, oh my God, this is the key to figuring out the rebellion. yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, him, well, he was going after him because he'd like murdered the security guards initially. But then once he was reprimanded for it and let go, he he was like, wait a minute, this is actually a really huge deal. And she's the only other person who realizes that. Exactly. So
0: he's correct in that sense, but Just the way he sort of like frames it, like the fact that this means they're like destined, you know, to like work together or something. Yeah, like, whereas for her, she's like, you disgusting little creep, leave me alone. Yeah, I was securing my
1: job and you had the information that I needed.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I was not expecting that scene at all between them so I feel like with this show you know like I don't know maybe it's a podcaster thing but I do find myself like sort of wondering what's going to happen next and how things are going to develop and you know with these two it was pretty obvious they were like on a similar wavelength right for a long time and I guess in my mind I always try to simplify so I'm always like oh yeah these two are obviously going to team up and who knows maybe at some point they will but Nowhere on my bingo card did I have the fact that there would be this sort of like creepy stalkerish interaction between them. Because right now I really feel like, you know, he could like bloody murder her or something. Mm. And yeah, it leaves very dark and unpleasant vibes right now.
1: Yeah, he does have this like, under the surface, real anger. I mean, you see it come out mostly in the scenes with his mum, right? Yeah, because he obviously resents her. Exactly. But, well, yeah, she's only feeding him cereal, salt. so
0: yeah, cereal. For yeah, cereal. he couldn't possibly
1: cook for himself. <laughs>
0: exactly. Clearly, his mum can't cook either because she's only given him cereal.
1: Oh, didn't she? Wasn't there like part of a scene where she was like, "I made dinner for you last night." You no, you're home. right. You're right.
0: <laughs> I was just telling a stupid joke. I'm sorry. This is
1: even more pathetic. It's so oh. pathetic. Their scenes together are so horrible. Like they're very well done obviously, but yeah. it's just like, oh my god, the layers of dysfunction and resentment here. Yeah. It's just too much. And
0: like the fact when he tells her off for cleaning his room he'd be like, You looked at my box <laughs> and it's like, What's in Cyril's box? <laughs> I really want to know. Is it like a diary with like uh, deirdre and then a heart drawn around it or something? Yeah. Who knows?
1: Yeah, but you get, like, it, it's suffocating and infantilizing and tragic, but it's also like, dude, you are a grown-up, you could have gone somewhere else, you know, you don't have to be at your mum's house. Yeah. Right? He acts as if he's got no choice to be there, but, I mean, how old is he meant to be?
0: Yeah, he come like, I think the actor is actually Adam Driver's age, which surprises me, so he comes off as younger. Yeah. Um, I feel like he, in the show, he seems like maybe late 20s, but... Yeah, I'm bad at judging age, so who knows? He is meant to be a young man, I think.
1: Yeah, It's just interesting to me that, you know, obviously he gets fired and has to go and do something, but, like, at the end of the day, he made the choice to go back there, but he is, like, full of resentment and acting like he doesn't have a choice but to be around her. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so we have an interview with Cole Soller from Star Wars.com. Could you just read out the first paragraph I've highlighted there, Kirsty?
1: In that first interaction, Khan's internal conflict is fully crystallized in Miro, and the recognition that he's not alone. Oh my gosh, there's another person like me, and she looks amazing doing it, and she does it really well, Sola says. There's hunger for filling that void, there's hunger for power and order in a fascistic realm. It's quite dangerous, but so seductive. That was the gift that Tony gave us. They're not two-dimensional, you really get the lighter shade and the grey areas of these people being people within the structure and limits of the system. They're so interesting because I didn't see it coming like you, but it gives it like this interpersonal layer that feels so inappropriate because they are all supposed to be professional and because they're, you know, fascists, we have this like sense of them being dehumanized robots, but they're not. They still have like personal passions and, and drives. Exactly, And he just like steps over this line and it's like quite shocking, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a really powerful moment. We actually had someone on Twitter um, come up with like, offer like the perfect summary, I think, about the vibes from this interaction. Um, And this is from Concerned ATM, which is a fabulous handle. Um, And about this interaction, they said... There's something tragic about being near the apex of an evil totalitarian regime's intelligence apparatus and still needing to worry about creepy guys stalking you. Which I feel gets right to the crux of the thing. Yeah, when she yeah. goes into
1: her office and like, dismisses that guy who, who's there, you do feel like she's quite shaken by the whole thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like a very heavy sigh. Um, and again, I'm not saying you're like, Oh no, poor Deirdre. God, Definitely I'm so not. sorry, babe. But, like, there's obviously a human element to that, right? Where she's basically been, like, victimised to a certain extent by this person, you know, completely unasked for who she she does not want to have any interaction with. And, yeah, like, I personally would find that really shaking and horrible, you know. And, again, I feel like I don't ever really feel sympathy for Deirdre, but I do understand her emotion in that scene, you know, why she is so cut up about it because yeah, it would be a scary situation to be in.
1: Yeah. I mean, then I'm like, well, you just tortured Bix. Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But she's like, she thinks she's in the right to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? So on her perspective, you know, she's just leaving work for the day and then she's harassed by this dude who she doesn't actually know. She just saw in this professional setting.
0: Yeah. And again, I feel like Ugh. the show is just doing such a fantastic job. I given this like shade and dimension to the imperials without you know making them like oh but they're actually just misunderstood you know they have like a real point too no, you know the people yeah. yeah and I feel like it would have been so easy to go the wrong side of that line you know there's like a um reddit i think called the empire did nothing wrong which i think started out as like a bit of a um joke you know they didn't sincerely mean it but i think there are some people you know, who have taken that a bit more seriously. And I feel like this show is, like, the perfect antidote to that sentiment, you know, because it's like, yeah, the Empire is actually really, really fucked up.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, you kind of have to show those actual, inner day-to-day, almost tedious workings, don't you? Because when you watch, like, the movies, everything just happens. Like, even in Rogue One, which is presented as, like, a, a gritty old thing that does show the regular people, you've got Galen making these speeches to to Jin on the hollow about like what he was doing to design the system but this is actually showing us possibly the people in the prison camps like building the pieces potentially of the Death Star like it's a completely different angle and it's so much more haunting and horrific
0: yeah exactly yes I feel like the Star Wars feature films they're usually like exaggerated aren't they they're on this like other plane of reality you know like you're saying about Hux you know it it doesn't feel like the same it obviously is the same world but it's the same world told through such a different lens like a much grander and more exaggerated lens you know where it's like oh yeah he grew up in a cult that's fine that explains it whereas this show there's just so much more like detail and dimension to everything that you do find yourself thinking about the characters and much more psychologically resonant ways you know as you would think about real people you know they're obviously not real people they're just characters but they're written with so much care and dimension you know that i think you're actively encouraged to think about them in those terms which yeah makes
1: it a really interesting experience it is an interesting experience i i'm kind of i wonder what it's like to come to this as someone who hasn't really watched any star wars because i think it would be a shame almost because as someone who has been invested in the star wars like universe and you know everything that's that goes on in it and those grand overarching fairy tale tellings of the story it's like oh wow this is kind of unprecedented this this is such a different like introduction and angle to the the genre of like you know this espionage spy thriller stuff that i don't know it would be a very different experience having this as like your first introduction Nice. As opposed to one of the, do you know what I mean? Like it would just feel, I I don't know. I I wonder what those people would make of the movies if they went to watch them afterwards, if they, if they saw Andor first.
0: Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Um, Because yeah, this is a sort of show where I feel like it's just a good show in its own right. You know, and I feel like I've said that before, but often, you know, when you're at a certain level of fandom, it's hard to be objective and recognize when you have blinders on. And I feel the most confident about saying that this would just appeal to anyone who likes sci-fi, right? You know, if you like science fiction, you want to see a good character-based story set in, like, a fascistic science fiction world, watch Andor. You know, but again, you're right. I feel like if this was your entry point to Star Wars, it would completely, like, reframe your experience of that world. And I'm not sure... How the films would come off, you know? Because they are
1: just—can you imagine watching the original Star Wars after this and being like, "What the fuck does Luke Skywalker dude? Like,
0: <laughs> exactly. And it just—and it goes beyond that, just to things like like tone and yeah, just like the scale of it. You know, it's just so yeah. radically different.
1: There's not a hint of a lightsaber or a jewel or a Jedi or anything. Yeah, you know,
0: exactly. They'd be like, "What the hell?" Yeah, it would be a very interesting experiment, I think it's safe to say, um, to show someone who has no experience of Star Wars Andor and then show them the rest. <laughs> yeah, you know, people are obsessed with doing the whole viewing orders for Star Wars, so I'm very keen to see where people put Andor because, yeah, I think that's going to be controversial, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on to Mon Mothma and her goings-on on Coruscant. Um, So, yeah, we still have Perrin being a complete ass. Um, Leda, and Leda is just... I don't know if you found this, Kirsty, but I'm like so perplexed by what Leda is doing at this point. I
1: am confused and intrigued. I'm like, what are you up to, young lady?
0: Yeah, I, there has to be something going on, right? Because they they make a point of showing her like approaching her mum almost every single episode, and like yeah. mom's too busy or something or talking to someone else. It's like
1: she needs to tell her something, and it's like, what is it? What's yeah. going on? <laughs>
0: I will honestly be pissed if we don't find out what the hell the ladies deal is by the end of the season. So I need to know. Like this is very important to me. But yeah, no, I like her. She's like a normal teen girl. Again, she just feels real, you know. Which I know feels mm. like a slightly dumb comment, but she just does. You know, she's irritated with her mum. She doesn't understand her. She's closer to her dad,
1: or appears to be. Yeah, appears there to be. Could be a twist.
0: Yeah, she could be a mm-hmm. really good actress. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. And also, in a fascinating twist, she loves the um, dress that her Aunt Vel brought her. Mm. So yeah, we now know that Vel is Mon Mothma's cousin. I can't
1: believe I was excited by a familial reveal in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, when did you click what was happening was it when um
1: oh not until she was there oh not
0: until she turned you
1: know. up yeah no like you know the driver was like oh your cousin's here i was like oh who's that <laughs> no idea did you think it was well
0: I I think I kind of guessed. Oh yeah. my God! How? No, no. Okay, so I'm gonna rewind. Guess is the wrong word. I saw a picture from a trailer where Val and Mon Mothma were talking. Oh, so was that in a trailer? I think it was in a trailer. Oh, they shouldn't have shown that. Yeah, it, it's quite a big reveal, really. Wow. And and yeah. again, you know, there was nothing in that trailer to suggest they were related in any way. But no, if, but then if they're on Coruscant together, both in nice clothes, you know, they're either going to be friends or related, right? So.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, I was wondering about Val's family, because she shows up on Coruscant looking all fancy, and then she has that interaction with Cinder about being a rich girl running away, and so I was like, oh, I guess this will have to play out in some way, but I wasn't expecting her to be a Mothma or whatever you call <laughs>
0: Mothma. <laughs> I'm sorry, every time I hear that, I think about the bloody, like, I
1: know. The Godzilla thing. I don't, is, is Mothma <laughs> even her last name or is her full name, like, is it just Mon, or is it Mon Mothma is her name?
0: Mon is her first name. Mothma okay. is her surname.
1: <laughs> so is it Vel Mothma, or does she have a different name? Uh, no, oh, Vel no. has a different surname. Um, I think okay. her
0: surname's Safa. Um, but that checks out, you know, because she's just a cousin, so who knows which side she's related on. So Yeah, yeah.
1: well, she's a cousin, but the daughter is calling her auntie. Yeah, so which again She's obviously considered out. someone quite close, yeah. you know. Yeah,
0: because I, I call my dad's cousin, like my aunt yeah. as well. Just, yeah. Yeah, because it's weird, so obviously, to say, hello, cousin. <laughs>
1: yeah, but she seemed to have genuine affection for her and it was nice of them to see her and everything. So, But, oh, God, my often was so worried about her. Yeah. That was, oh, that was tense. And
0: again, I just love, you know, the fact that they both know that the other person is involved with the rebellion, right? That's very clear. But mm. neither of them has any idea of the extent of the other person's involvement. Yeah, they don't want to ask too many questions. Yeah, exactly. And I think you can tell from Mon's reaction to Lufen um, at the start of episode 7 that she's horrified by the knowledge, you know, that he was clearly involved with yeah. because she feels it's going too far. And I can I can only imagine her being out of her mind if she realised
1: that Val was so involved with Ald-Hani. Yeah. It is kind of fascinating, though, because I'm like, well... You're raising all this money. What do you think people are going to do with that money? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like she's still in a level of denial about what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. It's like this is all going to lead somewhere. You are actually going to have a revolution here. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And this will sound like a stretch, but in a way, it does make me think of like a parallel with Cassian as well. You know, because Mm. they both lead radically different lives and they're in radically different areas of the totem pole, right? Of the hierarchy. But again, fundamentally, in both situations, you have these characters who are in denial about what it will take you know, to bring the Empire down. And I think over the course of this season, it's going to be them recognising the extent of the commitment that's required. So yeah. again, it's just my speculation, but my current prediction is that I think by the end of this season, Mon is going to have to leave Coruscant and like go into hiding and become a full-time rebel, essentially. Mm. You know, and assume leadership there. Because that's going to be the point of no return, right? You know, when you've made that decision, there's literally no going back to your former life. And at the moment, we're seeing Cassian going through that on the prison, right? Because he knows there's no going back now, you know? There's nothing else for him. Yeah,
1: at the moment, obviously to keep them all safe as much as possible, they're leading kind of very blinkered lives. Like, they have a very blinkered perspective of what's going on as a whole. And it's only really characters like Lufen and Saw... That are able to step back and see everything on a grander scale. Yeah. That's what it feels like anyway.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Like they're kind of working in their own little pocket dimensions.
1: But and then actually, yeah. I even wonder like with um, Lufen's assistant, is it Claire? Claire? Claire. Yep. She seems to have more of a perspective than he does in a lot of ways. I don't know. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Like, what does she know? I don't know. Like when she talks to Vel... And tells her that Cassian needs to be killed. Does Luther know about that? I get the impression he doesn't. Yeah, she does seem
0: like there's clearly a lot more to her than we initially believe, right? Because yeah, it- she's not
1: really his assistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a front. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, but you know, I think at first, even though we know she's more than a shop assistant, you know, she's clearly involved with in his work for the rebellion. You do initially get the impression she's there in like a supportive role to him yeah but it's actually
1: that she's just as important and maybe more so it's it's like hard to know isn't it exactly she's quite mysterious yeah and i've seen theories that she could be cassian's long-lost sister
0: (laughs) i've also seen that theory yeah like i don't know i I actually put up a question on our twitter page about that just because i wanted to see people's theories and there's lots of theories people have lots Mm. of opinions about it i feel like she's probably a bit too old
1: I had the assumption that Cassian's sister was dead and Marva was right to tell him that, you know, you need to let go of that. Yeah. But it would be an interesting twist because she is ordering for him to be killed.
0: Yeah. You know? It would be. Yeah. I think if it wasn't for the age thing, I would love that theory, but I'm just struggling to see it right now. I've also seen people suggest that she was like Vel or Cinta. She's obviously not Vel. (laughs) Oh, 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 no, 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 no. Sorry, I'm wrong. Deirdre. People were suggesting she could be Deirdre. Oh my god! I really don't think that's gonna happen.
1: <laughs> Although I guess that they could also do something interesting with something like that. That like Cassie and you know and his sister both went in drastically different political directions because of something traumatic that happened to them.
0: Yeah, and, and that yeah. would be absolutely fascinating. You know, if they did go in that direction, but. Again, I, just, I don't think it's her. Yeah, I don't think it's her. I think she's too old again. <laughs> I know I sound like preoccupied by people's ages, but
1: well, cause is she meant to be younger? Than yeah, Sebastian? she's meant to be younger. Yeah. and yeah, I know so... that
0: like Diego Luna is like forty, look, look, fantastic looking forty, as we've already established. But forty, but he's like literally playing early twenties in this. Yeah. you know, he's meant to be a really young guy, so his sister could even be like late teens. You know, so and Deirdre is not late teens. <laughs> I'm sorry, that <Right. laughs> she is definitely not um but yeah sorry that's probably the least interesting conversation we could have right now so um... no i
1: just i've seen people theorizing about it and i guess it, i it just hadn't really crossed my mind like that she could be a new character who shows up at some point because i would only ch- i just accepted at face value that she was out of the picture and he hadn't yet come to accept that yeah but they could be leading us down that way intentionally to them Have a twist later on. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing that's given me pause in terms of thinking she might still be alive is the fact that they are making such a point of mentioning her still, you know? But again, the whole that could be the point, right? You know, the fact that he is clinging on to this hope in this daydream, you know, that she might still be out there somewhere. And, you know, part of his journey towards being a full-time rebel is going to be to let that go, you know, and accept that she's gone. But I feel like whatever happens... We're hopefully going to get a bit more information about what happened on Canari, you know, because I do feel like that's still a little bit unresolved, you know, the final fate of the planet.
1: I'd be curious to see some sort of return to that. Yeah. I do like how they keep looping back to things and not not dropping characters. Like, everyone clearly matters to the overall story.
0: Exactly. I feel like it's all so carefully and deliberately written, which I really appreciate, you know. It's like... I love the messiness of Star Wars, you know, but often Star Wars has a lot of loose ends, right? Like, think about all the like, unexplained shit in The Force Awakens that kept us, like, writing meta <laughs> and having podcast discussions, you know, like, in tedious detail, you know, for stuff like the Knights of Ren scene, which ultimately turned out to, like, serve no purpose. <laughs> it was fun at the time. <laughs> it was fun. I, I have no regrets, honestly. I enjoyed it. But, you know, again, I feel like I trust the people running and or more. In, term, in the sense that I don't feel like any of it's going to be wasted. You know, it's all there for a reason. So, yeah. And I love that. Yeah. I just love that we can have so much confidence in the people making the show to tell a good T- Tony
1: Gilroy and JJ Abrams must be very different people to work with creatively. <laughs> I thought you
0: were about to say, though. They're, they're clearly best friends.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> they might be. Who knows? They, they might know each other. I don't know. But, yeah. like, they clearly just have such a different approach, at least in, you know, how JJ's come to star wars it was yeah. just like we could do this we could do this we could do this and it, you know he wasn't from the start he wasn't to the impression that he was just doing that first movie and then he passed it on to someone else yeah so it was a very different thing whereas gilroy i'm assuming I, I don't know but like they got the the green light for another season or maybe another two seasons of andor before we, we even saw the first episode. So I'm assuming that all is kind of fought out, you know?
0: Yeah. No, there's only going to be one more season of Andor. But yeah, oh, has a, okay. is actually going to stop filming in two weeks, I think. So yeah, it's 100% happening. And yeah, they clearly had faith in this, which is more than deserved because, yeah, it's fabulous. Um, but yeah, we're also introduced to a new character in Mon Mothma's circle, who is Tay Colmer. Who is her childhood friend and a banker? I don't know about this guy. Oh, in terms of you're not sure if you can trust him? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm very trusting by nature, so I just took him at face value and I said, oh, I'm glad Mond's got an ally. That's great. I did it.
1: I did it first, but then I was like, "Be careful what you tell him." I don't know, and now he's like talking to this other guy who's yeah. like a, sounds like some kind of crime lord, and it's just like, "Wow, this could get shady real quick." Yeah, especially as
0: he's insisting on visiting Mon at the at the embassy, which sounds like a very high risk proposal. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: I yeah. Now you've said that, that makes me wonder if maybe this is gonna like precipitate a series of events that lead her, you know, to going into hiding. And joining the rebellion full time because, yeah, she's always been so careful about keeping her circle very small and keeping things like very like close to her chest that, you know, it could all fall apart at this point precisely because that isn't happening anymore. You know, and more and more people are getting involved in some capacity. So, yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what ends up happening there
1: yeah I mean, I was absolutely loving their scenes together, like talking to each other at the dinner party, and obviously, there's an element of suspended disbelief because they're clearly in hearing distance of other characters, <laughs> yeah you know, let's pretend not um, but it just felt like I was watching an episode of the Americans in some way where where it does have that element of like, can you trust this person that you're telling this very classified information to? yeah, um and yeah, there's all sorts of intrigue and. They were kind of like talking circles around each other right like trying to get to the core of what each other was trying to say but like in a way that there would have like a plausible deniability if the other person did end up feeling quite differently yeah that was interesting
0: like it worked very well dramatically even though it's not the most like plausible thing if you pause to think about (laughs) staging and like hearing distance and stuff but yeah, I just loved the weave between you know them having these like really banal childhood reminiscences, and then them having these very high stakes conversations about like rebel causes and raising money, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, just the like way that they could s- switch in and out of those roles—it was really fascinating to
1: watch. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm, I just love that I'm invested in someone who really you know currently seems like a minor character yeah but it's obviously going to have a huge impact one way or another on Mon mothma's trajectory
0: exactly yes he kind of came out of nowhere like no one like imagined they're like oh yeah a banker is gonna come on the scene
1: yeah well she would you know she clearly reached a point of desperation where she was like i need funds yeah <laughs> the this is the only like i don't have a way to access you know the money's there But how do I do it in a way that's not going to draw attention to myself?
0: And I guess she's been driven to it by the actions on Old Harney, right? Because that was done to get money. And I think Mon, in a way, must feel guilty about that and all the legislation that's followed, you know, that's going to limit freedom so severely. Because I think in her mind, she's aware... That, oh God, maybe if I'd been doing a better job of getting funds to these people, they wouldn't have needed to do that. And then we would not mm-hmm. be in this position of this repression happening. So I feel like that might be behind her desperation, you know, in trying to get more control of her money right now. Yeah. So yeah, really fascinating. Oh, we can't move on without talking about Perrin being an absolute dick to Val at the dinner table. <laughs> And be like, "Oh, you're going to find a husband. You can only find a widower now." Like, I loved oh. her
1: response, though. Oh, it was so great! <laughs> All the good ones are obviously taken.
0: <laughs> and I just love Mon's face as well. How you can just see her and You just know yeah. that she's thriving off it. She's like, "Oh, I yeah. love you, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was yeah. That was a great moment. Um, and on the subject of Val and romance, I just oh love the stuff of her and Cinta. Like, there's too little of it, but what we do have
1: is so good. Actual, like, fade out across the stars. Oh my god! in Star Wars that was just o- oh.
0: honestly that crossfade where like Cinta is like gazing wistfully so through the good. window, Vel is gazing wistfully through the window. I'm not joking. I think that was one of the most romantic shots in all
1: of Star it Wars. Was amazing. I'm so happy. Yeah. I was like, I cannot believe what I'm seeing right now. (laughs) It's like, this is so good. And I think that we have a sapphic relationship that like really does have this like tension to it. It's not, you know, they didn't just go for something like fluffy or like one dimensional bland. Like it actually, it has a real story and like there's a conflict there between them and so good.
0: Exactly. And I just love that, you know, they both obviously want to be together But they just can't right now, you know? And I sense that, like, Sinta is more aware of that. Well, they're both very aware of it, but Sinta is more accepting of that than Vel is.
1: Her background, yeah. Yeah,
0: the relationship clearly means so much to both of them. But, yeah, I think Sinta has been so, like, hurt and wounded by everything she's suffered in this conflict that she's more willing to lay down, you know, this love and this relationship than, like, Vel is, like, at this particular moment. Um, but yeah, obviously, it's still a source of pain for both of them that they have to separate. So, oh, it's just so exquisite angst. Is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Just the it's- angst is perfect. Wow.
1: Yeah, Sinta's obviously. She's in a. She seems to be in a mentality of like, she's already at the place where she would die for the cause. Yeah. You know. A hundred percent. Whereas Vel and Mon Mothma. I mean, Vel and Mon Mothma are obviously different people, and Vel was leading that mission, but. I don't know. I don't think she has the fervor behind it that Cinta does. Yeah, Because you you can't without that level of personal investment, I guess.
0: And I feel like Cinta, she doesn't have anything to go back to, right? Because they yeah. make a point of saying that her whole family was killed by the Empire. Whereas Vel, you know, you, she clearly has like a comfortable life back on Chandrila that she can go back to at any moment. And, you know, I think it's clear from the episode that Vel, you know, she doesn't place too much stock in those things you know but she it doesn't change the fact that she still has a home to go back to right and yeah cinta just doesn't have that so there's this real class difference between them as well and i think yeah that lack of any security for cinta is definitely gonna put her in a position where she is more willing to make those sacrifices
1: yeah it does make me very worried about what's going to happen to them yeah
0: same like there's too many stories about tragic lesbians Um, and I feel like this is going to be another story about tragic lesbians to be honest but at the very least I'm happy that this is at least a story of way more dimension in terms of like a love story between two women than anything we've had before so I think the only other thing was like the pathetic kiss in Rosa Skywalker which is like give yourself a big clap on one finger for that okay I guess I'm happy
1: it exists but like it's absolute bare minimum yeah
0: exactly and like you just know they were like so self-congratulatory about that and it's like oh come on again I'm yeah happy it's there but again it's nothing to like act like it's a huge leap forward for representation so yeah no this is really really good this is what Star Wars needs more of you know like actual sophisticated interest in textured relationships so yeah. yeah and I
1: don't know if I'm just I guess in the right circles but like I haven't seen that there's been an awful lot of backlash to that in particular. I
0: haven't seen any backlash again like you say it's probably at least in part because we're in decent circles, right?
1: <laughs> I mean the usual suspects must be like melting down, but I guess I haven't really paid attention to any of like the surrounding discourse about the show if there if it is there. I'm sure some people like aren't enjoying it, but it doesn't seem to have inspired at a level of vitriol like The Last Jedi did or anything. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I think if there are people who are objecting to a romance between two women, we're doing the right thing by completely ignoring them. So yeah. Um but yeah, before we finish up, there's one important thing that happens in these three episodes that I thought we should discuss and that is Lufin going to meet Saw Um oh, because yeah. yeah, that's the return of Forrest Whitaker. So I was very happy to see him again. I, I just love how much fun he's having with Saw. <laughs> he's like really, really into it, you know, and making it um just like delivering this kind of like deranged performance. But again, you believe this guy is like an important rebel leader, even though he is like a little bit unhinged. You know, you buy his conviction and the fact that, yeah, he's very, very dedicated
1: to the cause yeah and he he's had loss as well, you know, like that's shaped his perspective, yeah, and yeah, I guess I just really appreciated having someone draw like an explicit I don't know he like naming all of the different factions that are supposed to be coming together because then that's that's kind of what we've been seeing unfold, right? That's kind of one of the overarching themes of the story that you have this hodgepodge of rebellious sentiment. But how do you bring those people together?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so he actually lists them, and it's a very colourful list, um, which I happen to have here. It includes separatists, neo-Republicans, the Gorman Front, the Partisan Alliance, sectorists, human cultists, whatever that is, um, and galaxy partitionists. Um, and, and to be fair to Saw, I think he is making a good point about the fact that yeah, mate, it feels like a bit of a fantasy right now that we're going to get all of those people to be on the same page. Yeah. um. Because, yeah, just from the names, those people clearly have very different priorities. So, yeah. And I just love that, you know, so there's no easy answers or quick solutions in this show. You know, it's like real life with real, like, political conflicts and real rebellions you know people aren't instantly on the same page just because they have a common enemy right so
1: yeah yeah because it's not enough to like tear down the thing that they don't want to live within it's what do you want instead yeah and if all of those people want something different uh how's that gonna work out
0: yeah exactly and i think saw has a genuinely good point in the fact that They might not work out very well. And I I do think Luthan's right in the fact that, you know, no one is going to win unless people start working together. I do think he's right in that way. So I think it's a good thing to do to try and force them to collaborate and work together. Again, I'm just fascinated to see the progression of that because right now it's difficult to see how those differences will be overcome and how like actual alliances will be formed between them but they inevitably will be you know because obviously there is the Rebel Alliance later on but yeah I feel like the show is going to tell us that you know and I'm fascinated to see what the answer it comes up with
1: yeah it's also pretty interesting watching a scene like that from the perspective of like a post sequel trilogy timeline where the first order was what like within 5 years of the empire falling was like there
0: in the background? Yeah, I feel like right? it was there, like pretty much,
1: like straight after the Empire. Yeah, I mean, felt- Palpatine himself was obviously actually still alive. <laughs> yeah, but the yeah. Empire was lingering, you know, even after his supposed death. And then the first, yeah, the First Order was like there, and then the Final Order was always there, like you know. So he's, it's just kind of got that weight of irony again, as you said earlier. It's like. That so many sacrifices are being made, and it's not like once it's vanquished, fascism dies. Exactly, you have to keep fighting it.
0: And honestly, now you've said that, and I strongly doubt this will ever happen. But I was just thinking about how cool would it be to get like another show, like with Tony Gilroy at the helm, but this time it's about you know the early years of the New Republic, and it's sort of like a dark mirror to this show, where instead of focusing on you know, the Rebel Alliance and how that starts to form. It's about, you know, what happens when, like, the Empire falls apart, you know, and degrades into all these different factions and what happens of those and the journey towards the First Order coming out as the top dog of all the factions. So I genuinely think that could be a really fascinating story if it was told with this level of, like, detail and depth and there are already interesting characters out there, you know, like Ray Sloan and Brendel Hux and stuff that they could yeah. use. Uh, again, I I don't know. Maybe it will happen one day. It probably will one day because Star Wars is probably going to be infinite now, right? So <laughs> there's is lots that of in real estate.
1: from The Last Jedi novelization I always think about where Snoke's going through, like... It's obviously in very vague terms because Jason Fry couldn't really commit into anything, but there's this underlying sentiment that like Snoke kind of came out of nowhere and there were all these other potential leaders beforehand that got usurped yeah exactly and again it could be so (laughs) interesting (laughs) bring back Andy (laughs) Serkis yeah exactly the sky's
0: (laughs) the limit basically Um, because yeah I, I love Andor I think it's fantastic but we've had so much storytelling now around this sort of like between the prequels and the original trilogy era that Yeah, I want more sequel, nascent storytelling, please. But
1: I feel like this is filling in the gaps in ways that I wouldn't have ever expected. Oh, yeah, for for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Honestly,
0: I'm so, so happy this exists. You know, I wouldn't trade this show. You know, I love it just as it is. But I guess it's just, in a way, it's a compliment because I love this so much. I would love to see other shows in the style or at least other shows with this level of, like, ambition and attention to detail, you know?
1: Yeah, because the politics around the sequel trilogy are so vague and ill-defined still, even yeah. after the trilogy's over. The, and I yeah, feel the, like that can could be a, a gift
0: more. to a storyteller, to be honest, if they went yeah. into it with the right approach. You know, so it could be like, but it's undefined right now, so my job is to tell a story about that and to make it defined. I think it could be fascinating.
1: But that's not what we have, so I should probably stop talking well, about what you, you never exist. know. Like you say, there could be something like that in the future. I think the success and you know, the critical reaction to the show again i guess i'm living in a bubble i assume that because i really love it it is being widely acclaimed um i hope that that signals to lucasfilm that they can do more to this standard
0: yeah i really really hope so too um because yeah this is just fantastic it's beyond my wildest dreams for star wars storytelling and i'm
1: very very happy so um yeah Since the show started airing, has Kathleen Kennedy said anything about it publicly? I'd be kind of curious to see what her thoughts on it are.
0: That's a good question. I'm not aware of her giving any comment. Um, And to be honest, I feel like the PR for the show hasn't been the best. But to be fair, I feel that about a lot of Star Wars TV shows, right? You know, they, they don't even do trailers after each episode, which I will never understand because to me, that's like the easiest thing in the world to do to build hype for your show. You know, when you have one episode, you put a trailer up for the next episode so people can get talking. But yeah, that that's just my personal beef. I feel like <laughs> not many people are bothered by that, but I am.
1: I wonder if they're like restrained by the conventions that Disney Plus has in general. For I do think that's true. So. I don't think they do it for any of their shows. I don't know if do that kind of thing. They yeah. don't,
0: no. So <laughs> um, I think it's the Disney Plus thing.
1: Yeah, I'd just be curious to see her talk about it because I feel like when The Last Jedi came out, she was so like effusive with praise for Ryan and the whole project. Yeah. And I feel like she's been kind of quiet lately.
0: I feel like she probably knows that people are just ready and waiting to take anything she says and frame it in the most uncharitable, deceptive oh, way possible. Like, so I feel like that might be, about those people. I know she shouldn't, but I do wonder if that's part of the caution, you know, underlying why she does say less now, which I agree sucks. Um, because, yeah, she should be proud of this show. Everyone yeah, I would just should like be. to
1: see them crowing about this show because they deserve to. I have seen lots good.
0: of t- tweets from Pablo, you know, and Pablo is very, like, dry in his humour, you know, so he's not very effusive about things. But from the tone of his tweets, I do get the impression he's very proud of the show, you know, and that they're aware they've made something really, really good with it. So, yeah, that makes me happy. Um, but yeah, no, that's fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that discussion, Kirsty. So thank you.
1: Me too. I was worried going in, and I'm sure there's so much that we have not like even acknowledged or gone into as much detail as people would like. Yeah, and maybe we'll come back to it in future. There is just so much happening in this show, but yeah, it all does still feel very focused, and each storyline is feeding into the other one seamlessly. And it's just a pleasure to watch, as you said. Yeah, so, exactly. And just so much fun to more. talk
0: about, you know. And I kind of again, like, I I don't know about you, Kirsty, but I don't know anyone else I could talk to you about this show on this level.
1: No, <laughs> I actually need to start asking some of my, like, in real life Star Wars friends. Sure. Like, Have you watched Andor? Because it's pretty good. You should.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I totally get you. Um, Yeah, I, I really want to try and evangelise about this show more because I want everyone to watch Andor and I won't succeed, but even if I can get one or two people to watch it, that would feel great.
1: Yeah, I, I have a coworker who really likes Star Wars, but hasn't mentioned the show to me yet. So I, I, I think maybe this week I'll, I'll bring it up. Oh,
0: that's the perfect <laughs> opening. Yeah. So you like Star Wars? <laughs> You'll really like this because it's very good. Yeah. No good luck with that. Um. But brilliant. Yep. So let's wrap up here. I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918.
1: I'm Kirsty and you can find both of us on Elon Musk's Twitter at Scavengers Horde if if you still there. I don't know if anyone's there anymore.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh yeah, it is um a pretty grim place to be right now. There's lots of um, gallows humour. If you will, on we'll Twitter. still be
1: sharing the links to the posts there, like the to the recordings, right? Yeah, like that's exactly. So people can keep up to date with the show that way if they so choose. But
0: exactly, um, but yeah, most like like non podcast tweets are probably just going to be me being bored and being like, "What do people think <laughs> about this andor thing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, because. Yeah, I I am also not a fan of Mr. Musk, to put it mildly. (laughs) But I'm also weak and I like the interactions that we have with people on Twitter. So, Yeah, if you see me on there, that's why. Um, But yeah, let's leave it there. Until next time, bye.
1: Bye.